whoever set this up was very tall. <laughs> I'm just going to adjust it. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, we are in an Old Testament um, overview series where we are really digging in to be um, people of the book, right? People who know his word and live his word. And we're right now in a series of on Genesis. And I'm telling you guys, doing Genesis in five weeks, it's a quest. But today we're in Genesis 6. We're doing the story of Noah. And um, we're going to dive into some really difficult questions. Does that sound okay? So we're going to start with our awesome Bible Project video. We love showing these. This is actually a different version to the one we saw last week. Same topic. But let's dive in. Thanks, guys. first book in the Bible is a book you've probably heard of. It's called Genesis. Genesis comes from a Hebrew word. Uh, it's pronounced reshit, uh, and it just means beginning. Now, there's a lot of stories from the book of Genesis, and it's easy just to pull out a specific story and, and try to tell you what it might mean. But we think the best way to understand this book is to look at the book as a whole and show you how the whole thing is designed. The book is designed to fall into two main parts. You have uh, chapters 1 through 11, which is telling the story of God and the whole world. And then you have the second part, which is about God and Abraham's family, as chapters 12 through 50. And how the two of those parts relate, that's where you find the message of the book. Okay, so let's start back at the beginning. The first part of Genesis begins with a creation story, where God creates everything. And how exactly that happens, of course, that's where all the debates come. But he takes a dark, watery, chaos, and he turns it into a beautiful garden where humans can, can flourish. That sounds nice. It does sound nice. In fact, seven different times God says of all that he's made that it's good. And this is where we meet the first human characters in the Bible, Adam and Eve. They're, they're both individual characters, but they're also representative. Adam is the Hebrew word for humanity, and Eve is the Hebrew word for life. And God creates them in his image. In other words, humanity reflects or is meant to reflect the, the, the creativity, the goodness and character of the creator out into the world that he's made. And they're supposed to reproduce and make cultures and neighborhoods and art and gardens and, and everything else. But he gives them a, a moral choice about how they're going to go about building this world. And this is what the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is all about. And he tells them, don't eat of the fruit of this tree or you will die. What's that all about? So up till now, God has been the one defining and providing what is good. And so God is the one with the knowledge of good and evil. But now this tree represents a choice. Will the humans trust God's definition of good and evil? Or are they going to seize the opportunity and define good and evil for themselves? And Adam and Eve eat the fruit. This is the core biblical explanation for that concept of sin, that desire to call the shots myself. It's the inward turn of the human heart to do what's good for me and my tribe, even if it's at the expense of you and, and your tribe. And the problem is humans are horrible at defining good and evil without God. And so now that humanity's made this choice, 
things get really really they really bad. So Genesis 3 through 11 is like tracing this downward spiral of all all humanity. So Adam and Eve, they can't trust each other anymore. And so there's a little story about how they were naked and felt fine about it beforehand, but now they feel shameful because all of a sudden Adam's definition of good and evil might be different than Eve's and so they hide from each other. Then there's another story of temptation. Cain is jealous of his brother Abel, and he gives in and kills him. There's a story right after Cain about a guy named Lamech, and all we know about Lamech is that he accumulates wives like property, and he sings songs about how he's a more violent, vengeful person than Cain ever was, and he's proud of it. Things get so bad with the human race that we see God decide to just wipe us out. Yeah, we typically think of the flood story it's about God being angry, but it actually begins with God's sadness and grief about the state of his world. And so out of his passion to preserve the goodness of his world, he washes it clean with the flood. But there's a glimmer of hope. He, he chooses Noah and his whole family, and he saves them on this boat. Yeah, don't forget about the animals. Right, and the animals. So Noah and his family are going to reboot all of humanity. I mean, he must be a pretty great guy. But this is the story most people don't know because it's kind of weird is that Noah gets off the boat and he plants a vineyard and he gets totally plastered and then something sketchy happens in his tent with his son. It's a tragic story. So from here humanity grows again but things are as bad as before and the last story is the famous story of the Tower of Babel. And in this story you have all of the nations uniting together to use this new technology they have, the brick. And they want to make a name for themselves and build this big city with a huge tower that will reach up to the gods. But God knows that this city will be a nightmare. And so in his mercy, he scatters them. And all of these stories, they're underlining the same basic idea. When humans seize autonomy from God, when they define good and evil for themselves, it results in a world of tragedy and death. And this leaves you wondering... Is there any hope for humanity? Yes, yeah, there is. It's the very next story that answers that question. It's the beginning of God's mission to rescue and restore his world. All right, wasn't that awesome? Such a good... You want more? I know. Well, stay tuned for next week, Stephanie. It's going to be awesome. Um... You guys, when I found out that I had been allocated this week and that I was getting the story of Noah, I was like, good, wait, bad. <laughs> because this is a rough one. This is a really, really difficult one. And as I prayed about it, I felt some questions rise up in my heart, and I'm gonna be honest with you. I don't know if there are questions that my heart holds exclusively or if this was God giving me questions that maybe are in your heart or maybe they're questions that exist in our culture. But we're gonna deal with these questions because they seem to be um, uh, important and they've been nagging me for weeks. And so here are the questions that, that we're gonna go after. What kind of a God makes people and then drowns them? Wasn't there any other way? Why that? That makes no sense to me. Why did God allow humans to get that bad? Why did he make humans with the ability to get that bad? 
Why couldn't he have just made good ones? Is this all God's fault? The flood? Is that okay if we ask those questions? I think it's important for us to wrestle with the things that um, hold us at arm's distance from God. Because I'm gonna be honest, those questions and the description of the God that we just talked about, that's not the God I know. So either I don't know God, or he's changed. You know, you hear people saying, well, there's an Old Testament version God and a New Testament version of God. Is that true? So that's what we're digging into. Um, I've asked my dear friend, Eric Lee, to read through our Genesis scriptures for us. I'm gonna stand here, if I'm in your way, just call out. Okay, thank you, Eric. Oh, it's me. (laughs) What is going on? Where's the words? Oh, I skipped a slide. I'll come back to it. How about that? (laughs) You can actually sit down. You know what I forgot? Kurt Brunk is praying for us today. You guys, how could I forget that? It's like, if you guys don't know Kurt, he's super awesome. you're supposed to say something really good about me at this point. <clears throat> was super awesome not really good? I just said you were super awesome. All right, thank you. You guys, I asked Kurt to pray to me, and he's like, are you sure you want me? And I'm like, yeah. Isn't it good to have Kurt and Julie back from sabbatical? Oh, yeah. We just love thank them. You, so, and if you don't know Kurt, you should get to know him because he's super awesome. <laughs> Lord, Lord, thank you. In Jesus' holy and precious name, as we come before you and have you talk to us about truly one of the most difficult passages in all of scripture. I'm asking you that you would anoint Justine to be your very heart manifest in words brought to ours that you, we, that you can just come into our lives and show us something amazing, incredible, important. So in Jesus' holy and precious name, please bless her, anoint her, Let the words that come out of her mouth be rivers of living water to us. And in Jesus' name, God, we also lift up the gathering place over here in Bellevue, a sister church of ours too. And I just ask you in Jesus' holy and precious name to be there and to overflow them today with your goodness, your presence. Grow them, anoint them. Let us all come together and be one in you, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Kurt. <clears throat> it's actually good that we reround because it's not time to read the scripture yet. Yeah. <clears throat> I'm so sorry. Turning to cough makes no difference. <clears throat> so yeah, I did want to talk about something before we read the scriptures. So it can seem like when we, when we deal with the Old Testament stories, it can seem like we're dealing with these isolated stories. So last week we talked about the story of Adam and Eve. This week we're talking about the story of Noah. Next week we're talking about the story of Abraham. And they're just these guys and their stories and they're all separate, right? We can, our brain can kind of think they're fragmented, but the truth is it's one big story. 
It never ends, it's the story of humanity. And so Kurt showed us that real well last week with a loop through of scriptures and then a loop back, remember that? And so we need to always think, so here we are in the story of Noah and it is not once upon a time there was a man named Noah. That's not how it starts. It starts with, so after Adam and Eve chose to go their own way, there was a man named Noah. Does that make sense? So we don't wanna think about them as isolated. And it really flows from the beginning. So let's go back, and I just want to do a quick recap. What is up with my throat today? (coughs) Jesus, help me. So, um, in the beginning, Yahweh was three in one. A God of love. He already existed as love before he made anything else. By the way, that is a very unique thing. If you think about world uh, religions and beliefs, Often there is a deity who exists on their own, and then they create things which would create an object for love, right? But God is not a being that created us for love. He created us to be invited into love. Love already existed, right? Father, Son, and Spirit already existed, and they said, our love is so amazing. Let's make children who can be a part of this incredible love, and that's us. That's our story. That's our origins. Um, The planet that he made is the backdrop and the setting for our relationship with God. That's why the planet was made. It's perfect to house humans. You know why? God made it to house us. This is his plan. It was made to be a place where Yahweh could walk with people, and this planet exists for that purpose. Then, (laughs) here's the side that I forgot about. Yahweh's goal and reason for creation is relationship. This is what Kurt talked about last week. That comes from us choosing to love him and be in relationship with him with genuine and true free will. This issue of free will is a tricky one. So let's just talk about it so we can all just like settle into why this free will thing. If you are in a relationship with someone and you have no choice about it, you're just in a love relationship with someone. That's not real love. The whole point of love is that it is a choice, right? If you are in a relationship with someone and it's choiceless, you are a slave. Does that make sense? You are a robot. So when God made humanity and it was for a love relationship, the only way for us to truly be in a real love relationship with him is he also had to create choice. So when we say, well, why didn't God just make no evil? Wouldn't that have been better? And I don't think that God made evil, but what if he just made us so there was no capacity for evil. Wouldn't that have been the best plan? I guess if he wanted like slaves, robots. You know, I used to play with Barbies when I was a young girl. I loved them, they were the best. And so, (laughs) um, but my Barbie dolls were just like two, there were two. And uh, Crystal Barbie and one that I forget, the other name, anyone else? Crystal Barbie was the best in the 80s. Just me, okay. And I would play with my Barbies and, you know, very animated conversations. We would have all these conversations and it was excellent. It was excellent. But here's the thing, you guys. There was a girl that lived next door to me, Renee. She had all the stuff. She had the Barbie car and the, like, little caravan. What do you call caravans, babe? 
camper, like a camper behind the car, and she had all of the clothes and like many, many, many Barbies and a Ken. <laughs> she had a Ken doll. So one day I was thinking about my Barbie dolls and I was thinking, oh, I just love them to come to life. I just love that. How cool would that be? Just to come to life and then I could really interact with them and at the same moment, I'm not making this up. This, this happened in my life. I realized if they came to life, they would walk next door to be with Renee and her Barbies and the Ken doll. I just knew it. I was probably seven, you guys. But I, it was so I knew it in my mind. If this Barbie could be alive, she would walk away from me because I have nothing to offer her. As soon as you give life and love, there has to be a choice. Do you know what I mean? Otherwise, if my Barbies just were like, you're the best, it wouldn't have been real. Because in my mind, I'd be like, well, you didn't choose me. I just programmed you to love me. This is the thing we're talking about with God and us. Does that make sense? You're welcome. Barbie dolls hold a whole new thing for you now. I hope every time you see Barbie dolls, which is probably not a lot, but every time you see them, I hope you remember free will. And what a gift it was that God would give it to us. Truly. You're laughing, Emily. Is that funny? <laughs> also, can I just talk about Josh, my amazing man, for a minute? Josh is extraordinary. Um, and he, his, one of his love languages is acts of service. But he will do acts of service without love involved. Like, he'll just get the list done. Sure, I'll do it. Like, I'll say to him, can you take the books back to the library? And he'll go, oh, I say, oh, babe, would you mind taking the books back to the library? And he goes, I don't want to, but I'll do it. Well, does that bless me? That, that's not love relationship. I want him to want to do the things for me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, honey, could you clean the kitchen? Sure. You know what I mean? Not like, yes, honey, I'd love to bless you, and I'd just love to, you know what I mean? I want him to want to do these good things for me. Same thing, right? So if the Barbie dolls didn't work for you, maybe that will. Does that help, Kevin? Are you better now? Okay, good. Um, Yahweh gave choice. It was a part of his creation. And then Adam and Eve chose, not him. They were the Barbies that walked next door because they believed there was something better for them outside of relationship with God. And we do the same thing. In fact, after Adam and Eve, we saw the histories just then, Cain and Abel, Lamech, over and over and over and over and over and over, people say, not God. Not God. I want not God. And what do you get when you choose not God? You get to determine your own rules of living, man. It's the best. Because if you choose God, then you have to agree with the terms of life that he has laid out. And who likes being bossed around? No one. And inside of us, we think, I would much rather be my own God, thank you. And I'll just make my own rules, thank you. And I don't want to have to bow to anyone, ever. I have a friend who doesn't wear seatbelts because he believes that the government should not get to write rules about things that happen in your own personal property, property to you. I don't know what that makes him, but I met him 20 years ago when I first moved here and I was like, you are a fascinating like, experience, <laughs> you know? But he really believed, it's not, if, me, if I wear my seatbelt and I get hurt, that's my fault. Or if I don't wear my, 
Oh, I got a nod right there. So, you know, we don't like being told what to do. I'm like, a seatbelt, it will help you. Doesn't matter, he doesn't want it. He's in protest, he won't wear it. There's something inside of us that really wants to make our own rules. Also, we're smart, we can make our own rules, right? We got this, don't tell me how to live. I'm very smart, anyone else? Feel that way? Like, I can make up my own mind, and you guys, you live, we live in a country of independence, make up your own mind, freedom is the most important thing, you should get to determine what happens with your life. We live in the pinnacle of this belief, don't we? And we love it. And we want to give that freedom to every country on the planet. If only they could have life like us, they would know real freedom. Feel that? It's a bit scary, isn't it? We've elevated something inside of us that isn't actually God's best plan. When Adam sinned, the entire world was affected. Sin entered human experience and death was the result. And so death followed this sin, casting its shadow over all humanity because all have sinned. We talk about sin, I think there's a classic definition would be sin is the bad things you do. But bad is subjective. What's bad here isn't bad there. What's bad in my home isn't bad in your home. My kids can't jump on couches. At my friend's house, they can. It's very confusing for them. What is bad? Is it a sin to jump on a couch? All of the people that are like, yes. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. You're like, yes. But truly, sin is the things that separate our love relationship. So when I sin against you, it's something that throws up a wall between us and it means we can't have a real love relationship. If I sin against the Lord, it's the same thing. Separating myself from God through my decisions, it could be the good things I do, not just the bad things I do. And it can be things I think and things I don't choose to think, right? It's, it's the whole gamut. It's anything that interrupts my relationship with God. I talk about this with my kids like a love bridge. This might, because the wall, it's kind of like, am I building a wall? But what about this? Are you maintaining the love bridge between you and God? Like picture one of those Amazonian bridges that have been there for centuries, and it's kind of like, you know, the ones that your feet fall through, right? Picture that. Who's maintaining your love bridge with God? Needs to be you, walking with him in relationship, right? Say this with my kids when they're fighting over toys. You made a toy more important than love, and you just broke your trust bridge, your love bridge. There's nothing between you now. That's the problem we have with sin. It separates us from God, and a chasm is created, a wall is built, and we're disconnected. And when we're disconnected from God, what happens? Not love, not life, not joy, not hope. We spiral down, just like we saw in that video. We spiral down, down, down. And what becomes most important is self and self-preservation and me and my tribe and our survival at all costs. We get that. We see evidence of that in the world, don't we? That's why wars start. Me and my tribe are going to be attacked by you and your tribe. War. And why did the war start? Self-preservation. Every time, right? Or I guess also domination. <laughs> we saw that with Lamech's life. 
So anyway, Adam and Eve went their own way, their kids went their own way, their grandkids went their own way, over and over and over, 10 generations, and we're at Genesis 6. By the way, I went and added up all the ages of the people. I just wanted to know how long this was, and then Kurt and I had a great debate about it, and he's like, well, but those numbers aren't the same, like, they don't follow, like, the calendar we follow. (laughs) So what is a year? Do you know what I mean? It's a little bit tricky. So suspend the issues with it, but what I saw was this amazing overlap. Do you know that, that if it really is true that it was 900 something years that Adam lived, that Noah is only like a couple hundred years off from having been alive when Adam was alive. So here's the thing, Noah's generation knew people who knew Adam who had walked with God. So we're not talking like, oh, thousands of years ago, there's this myth about a guy. No, he was alive. People heard the story from Adam and Eve. Dude, that's crazy. And still, humanity spiraled and spiraled. This is the fruit of Adam and Eve's choice, right? This is it. God said, oh, I don't know if I have this slide here. Let's have a look. No, but God said, um, don't eat of this fruit or you will die. And then Adam and Eve ate it and they didn't die. And they're like, well, I guess it wasn't a thing. And then they were separated from God and they experienced that spiritual decay, that death of the insides and then eventually the death of the outsides, right? And we see this death. All right, are we good? We're all caught up. Now we're at Genesis 6. Hey, my friend Eric is going to read for us. <laughs> I know. Twists and turns today, Tammy. Yeah. All right. Thank you, Eric. Yahweh observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth, and he saw that everything they thought or imagined was evil perpetually. So Yahweh was sorry that he had ever made them and put them on the earth, and it broke his heart. Yahweh said, I will wipe this human race I have created from the face of the earth. Yes, and I will destroy every living thing, all the people, the large animals, the small animals that scurry along the ground, and even the birds of the sky. I am sorry that I ever made them. But Noah found grace and favor with Yahweh. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, the only blameless person living on earth at the time, and he walked in close fellowship with God. Noah was the father of three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now God saw that the earth had become corrupt and was filled with violence. God observed all of this corruption in the world, for everyone on earth was corrupt. So God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me, For they have filled the earth with violence. Yes, I will wipe them all out along with the earth. Build a large boat from cypress wood and waterproof it with tar inside and out. And then construct decks and stalls throughout its interior. Make the boat 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. Leave an 18-inch opening below the roof all the way around the boat and put the door on the side and build three decks inside the boat, lower, middle, and upper. Look, I am about to cover the earth with a flood that will destroy every living thing that breathes. 
everything on earth will die. But I will confirm my covenant with you. So enter the boat, you and your wife and your sons and their wives. Bring a pair of every kind of animal, a male and a female, into the boat with you to keep them alive during the flood. Pairs of every kind of bird and every kind of animal and every kind of small animal that scurries along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. And be sure to take on board enough food for you and your family and all of the animals. So Noah did everything exactly as God commanded him. Thank you. So there's a card game called Mal. Has anyone played Mal? Proudly put your hand in the air. Mao is a game similar to Uno, but it's played with a regular deck of cards. You're going to be really glad you know about this game. It's super fun. So the way it works is there is a dealer who deals out seven cards. You tracking with me? There are ways you can play Mao. Many kinds of rules. The Mao that I learned about the second time I played Mao was the nice Mao, like a benevolent Mao, where you get to know the rules up front, and here they are. You may not pick up your cards before play is called by the dealer. So as they're dealt out to you, if you, by habit, touch your cards, because that's what you do every other time, the dealer will call penalty and hand you a card as your penalty. Don't touch your cards. During the game of Mao, you may not ask any questions. If you have a question, you can call point of order, point of order, put your cards down, hands go off, and then a question can be asked. When the point of order is over, you say, end of point of order, and everyone can pick their cards up again. If you happen to touch your cards during the point of order, what happens? Penalty. Anytime you receive a penalty, you must say thank you. If you fail to say thank you, you'll receive a penalty for not saying thank you. Penalty, you didn't say thank you. <laughs> thank you. Okay, so you see how this goes on. Fives are skip, sevens are reverse, I think. Um, there's a lot of different options, but the benevolent version of Mao is you know all the rules up front. And it's fun when you play it like that. Right, guys, that have played it with me? That version is fun. The first time I played Mao, I played a version that that guy called King Mao. King Mao is you sit in a circle and the dealer starts dealing cards and you have no idea what you're playing. That's the real Mao. You pick up your cards, the dealer says penalty and hands you a card and you take it and you put it in your deck. And he says penalty and then he hands you a card and you take it and you put it in your deck and then you put your hand, you're like, what's going on? And then you don't get a penalty and you pick your cards up and you get another penalty and then you don't on and on and on until you're like, like how do I hold all my cards, right? At the end of a round, whoever wins the round, which is, it's a, it's a shedding game, right? So you shed all your cards and whoever has no cards left, you have to say Mao when you play your last card um, or Mao Mao or King Mao, depending on the dealer's decision. Do you get what I'm saying? <laughs> whoever wins that round gets to introduce a new rule. It's phenomenal. We've had all kinds of fun rules, like anytime you play um, 
uh, I, I'm trying to think of one. Anytime you play a two, you have to get up and do um, two spins, right? It could be anything. And it's especially fun at 2 a.m. when you're that tired, giggly tired, that everything's funny. It's especially fun. But the first time I played it, it was with this guy. We were in Mexico on a mission trip, and he was one of our leaders. And he was dealing out the cards, and if I could describe him to you, he was an arrogant jerk. <laughs> King Mao calls upon the most arrogant of all to become dealers of the game. It stirs up inside you something so profoundly arrogant. Right, guys? There are certain people that I won't play Mal with. Do you know why? They're jerks. I won't do it. You guys know who I'm talking about. Yeah. So this guy was handing out cards like there was no tomorrow. He was just penalty, 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 on and on and on. And I watched people fall apart, lose their freaking minds. They were like losing it. And if you're Facebook friends with me, you can see this week I posted what are the feelings that the game of Mao like elicit in you, something like that, and the comments were wild. <laughs> so if you want to understand the full fury of the Mao, it's real. Right, Becca? <laughs> Some of us needed counseling after that situation because it was, it was tricky. Mao reminds me of life and God. He's the dealer, you guys. He made everything. He's the one who set up the game. He's the one who invited us to the table. He's the one who gets to determine the rules. We don't like that, do we? And we want to say, well, I want to live on this planet, but I don't want to have anything to do with the one who made it. Like that's an option, right? He's the source of life. He's the creator of breath. He holds this all together. He's the anchor of gravity. He sustains the sun. He's the supreme being. He is power. He is existence. He is perfection. He is might. And he could be King Mao if he wanted to. He could be a God that hands out penalties and you never know why. He could be. You know why? Because he made it. He could do whatever he wanted. He could be whatever kind of God he wanted to be, and we have nothing to say about it. Why? Because we were created by him. You understand? But that's not who he is, and it's not what he wants. He is the God who created all of this for love. He's not interested in throwing his weight around to prove his power and make us feel small. He's not interested in that. That is the opposite of what he wants, right? So when we look at this flood, what happened? And I say to him, what kind of God would do that? It's not a God who's playing King Mao. It's not like those people are like, we don't know why we're being drowned. We have no idea. What did we do wrong? What a horrible God he must be, right? Words cannot describe him. Thoughts cannot define him. And our minds really can't comprehend him. He doesn't want to make your life miserable. He's not a jerk. He's not unfair. What he is is your loving father who created you for love. And this is what he says. 
about us. When I look at the night sky and see the work of your fingers, God, the moon and the stars you set in place, what are mere mortals that you should think about them, human beings that you should care for them? Yet you made them only a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. Do you feel that? This gift that he's given us? Is that mind-blowing? Because he could have made any rule at all. But what he did was create us and elevate us to a place of honor. It's extraordinary. He says, I have loved you, my people, with an everlasting love. With unfailing love, I have drawn you to myself. And true God, the true God is the creator of all things. He is the owner and the Lord of the heavenly realm and the earthly realm. And he doesn't live in man-made temples. He supplies life and breath and all the things to every living being. He doesn't lack a thing that we mortals could supply for him. And he has all things and everything he needs. From one man, Adam, he made every man and woman and every race of humanity, and he spread us over all the earth. He sets the boundaries of people and nations, determining their appointed times in history. He has done this so every person would long for God, feel their way to him, and find him. For he is the God who is easy to discover. It is through him that we live and function and have our identity. This is the game he set out for us. It's a game of beauty and belonging and hope and life and identity. Do you feel that? So different from what he could have done, right? So different. He's not King Mal, but he is the dealer of a game. And I'm not saying that because we're playing a game. Do you understand the metaphor? He is the one who defines this very thing. And I'm gonna tell you, his rules are up front. It's not like we get halfway through life and go, oh, I didn't know, I didn't, I didn't get that there was a God and I had to do anything. He painted himself into all of creation so we would find him. He's not a God that's hard to find, right? From the beginning, this is what God made clear to us. Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this, listen to Israel. Yahweh is the one and only God, and you must love Yahweh your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And the second, equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. Isn't this a thing we've heard from the very beginning? Love God, be connected with him, all of you. Love him with every fiber, right? It shouldn't be a surprise that when we don't love God, things go badly, right? It's not like he set it up like, well, if you don't love me, I'm going to booby trap everything else so you get punished for not loving me. That is not what he's done. When you unplug from the source of life, you die. That's all. I had to tell my kids they cut some flowers for me and they were so excited, but like two days later, they're like, Mwah. you know, my four-year-old's like, what happened to the flowers? And I'm like, well, honey, you cut it off from its source of life. You take flowers off a tree, it dies. That's the truth of us living without God, right? This is really simple. The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, 
You may, eat, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. One rule. One rule. <laughs> Crazy. That was it. There was just one. Any surprise? Any surprises here? Did God say penalty? And Adam was like, what for? What did I do wrong? While he's holding the fruit in his hand. I didn't, oh, this, oh, you didn't make it clear. This tree, this is the one you were talking about? Dude, you should have made it clearer. You're a confusing God. I had no idea. Is that what happened? No, it was so clear. So clear, right? But humans keep thinking. (laughs) I want to live on the planet that God made, but I don't want to have anything to do with the one who made it. I want to have a life that was given to me, but I don't want to be connected to the one who made it. Right? This is what happens inside of us. And God says, what wrong did your fathers find in me that they went far from me and went after worthlessness and became worthless? What did God do? What did God do to the father of Lamech? (laughs) that Lamech would be so crazy. Like, what did God do? Was he mean-spirited? Do you know what I mean? This is where we're at in Genesis. So let's go back to Genesis 6, and we're going to talk through three things. Are you ready for it? Do you need to, like, shake it off? This is a hard message, isn't it? It's like a, there's a lot. Do you feel like we're, like, learning to lift weights right now? It's, it's a lot, Robert, isn't it? It just feels so some heavy lifting. So let's dive in. You ready? Mm. 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 Let's do it. Yahweh observed the extent of human wickedness on earth, and he saw that everything they thought of or imagined was evil perpetually. Everything they thought of or imagined was evil perpetually. You guys, I have some pretty evil thoughts every now and again. (laughs) One or two. A day or an hour. I don't know. I mean, it just creeps up on you, right? We're like, wow, I didn't realize I was so like mean-spirited, but there it is, you know, or whatever the thing is going on in you. But I also have the capacity for beauty and creativity and love and friendship, right? The people of Genesis 6 only thought of evilness, that was it. There was no beauty, there was no love, there was no life, there was no friendship. Do you, do you feel that in these words? This is the fruit of the decision of Adam and Eve, fully played out. God gave us the gift of choice, and then he also gave us this gift, that we would see the end result of choosing not God. Why did God allow humanity to spiral so far into evilness? It was a gift to us. I ask God, why did you drown the people you made? And I felt like he said, I had no other choice. I didn't understand that, so I was talking to Kurt about it, and I was like, I don't get this. What does he mean he had no other choice? He's God, he can do whatever he wants. Of course he had another choice. Why not have Jesus come and die then? For those people, good plan? You like my plan, Kellen? It's a good plan. Let's bring Jesus in now. 
Let's have him die now. And Kurt and I were talking about it, and Kurt's response was so weighty to me that I just wanted to share it to you. He said, if Jesus had come and died for them, it wouldn't have changed a thing. It wouldn't have mattered. They had chosen not God entirely. I don't understand how evil could grow so thick in the hearts of men, but we're going to talk about that again in a little bit. But this perpetually means forever and ever, never changing, perpetually evil. So it wasn't like God was like, you know what, I'm sick of, I'm sick of this. Let's just drown them. Because honestly, I don't care if they would change tomorrow. I'm just sick of waiting. No, he sees through all eternity and he sees that perpetually it would never have changed. Do you see that? Evil was established and every descendant from those people would have made the same decision. They threw up their middle finger at God. Perpetually. Every moment of every day. Not God. Screw you, God. I don't want you, God. Do you see that? The evil was profound inside of them. Um, And it was heartbreaking. Absolutely heartbreaking to God. So Yahweh was sorry he had ever made them and put them on earth. It broke his heart. Now, it's not the kind of sorry like, oh man, I'm really sorry I did this. I regret it. Back to the drawing board. That was stupid. I'm sorry I let this thing play out so long. Whoops. I didn't see this coming. Man, I just feel sorry. Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> That's our version of sorry because we don't have four we don't have four viewing. We don't have four knowledge, but he knew this was going to happen. So what is this word sorry? You know, when you know your grandpa is going to die or someone you love, you see their death coming. You can foreknow it, but it doesn't change the amount of anguish and pain on the day that it actually happens. And God's sorry is that he's sorry this day had to come. He's heartbroken that it finally was here. From the moment he conceived of the idea to make us and he spoke us into being and all of life flowed out of his mouth into existence and he knew that this would happen when he gave us that gift of choice He was sorry then, every day as it unfolded, and he was sorry this day that it had come to it. You know? Do you feel that? When he opened up the flood that killed the people he made, the anguish was so deep in him. And we need to know that because this day is going to come again, right? Let's move on. Third thing. So God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me, for they have filled the earth with violence. Filled the earth. That's a phrase we know, right? Filled the earth. Where does that phrase come from? Do we remember? So God created man in his own image, and in the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them, and God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. 
What were we supposed to fill the earth with? People? Love? Let's tie these verses together, because you know all verses are connected, right? In his image we were created, in his likeness, and fill the earth. We were supposed to fill the earth like he had filled the earth, right? That barah, creative word, that brings life and strength and flourishing things. We were supposed to fill the earth. We were supposed to continue his creative work of goodness and abundance, weren't we? Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. That's what we were supposed to do. We were supposed to be so infused with the love and power of God that as we live out our lives, we fill the earth with his glory. That's what we were supposed to do. But what had they done? They had filled the earth with violence. But Noah, Noah was a righteous man, the only blameless person living on the earth at the time, and he walked in close fellowship with God. Noah did everything exactly as God has commanded him. It's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. In the midst of evil, in the midst of utter evil, Noah. Now, Noah wasn't connected to God in a fuzzy way, right? It wasn't like there was a man who existed in a time of evil who thought, maybe there's a higher power out there. Maybe there's some sense of good that I don't know about. Do you know what I'm saying? It's not like there was this guy who kind of thought there was a God. This guy walked with God. He walked with him. Do you, do you see that, like, as extent of evil there was, there's this extent of closeness with God? It's almost like opposite ends, right? How did this happen? How did this happen? Where did this guy come from? How was he not perpetually evil too? This is this amazing hope that I have in my heart about the story of Noah. All it takes is one guy with a heart that turns to know God, and everything's different. This morning, a prophetic word was given about it only takes one to change the world. That's what was spoken this morning. That's what God's saying to us today. As soon as I heard it brought, I was like, there's a sermon. God's already preparing us to hear it. It took one person. Noah didn't have a prayer team backing him up. <laughs> he didn't have a Bible study. They didn't like cloister in a home, praying together. There was none of that. Noah was alone. Now, it could have been that his wife also believed, but she's not really talked about. And it, you know what I'm saying? God's telling us what we need to know. It doesn't really say that his sons had faith either. True? Like, we just don't know at this point. What we know is Noah had a relationship with God when no one else did. Guys, if, uh, if Noah hadn't had a heart to know God, do you know what? We wouldn't exist. That would have been the end the end. And God gave people choice and they chose not him and then they all were so violent that he destroyed the earth. The end. That's what would have happened. <laughs> Noah changed everything. One guy. And guess what? He wasn't especially good. 
we saw what happened next. What was the wording? He got like super drunk. Oh, something sketchy in the tent, yes. No, it wasn't, you know, although I want to say his son was the one that initiated that whole thing, but Noah was excessively drunk at that point and, and you know, dumbing, uh, numbing the pain of his life. But I feel like Noah's life calls to us in such a profound way, and this is why we have this story, and as we're becoming people of the book, this is why it's so important that we, like, cling to this story of Noah as a hope. Even amidst utter evil, knowing God was still an option. So it's not like all the evil people were super evil because God was so hard to find. It's not like the whole planet had gotten so dark that nobody could be blamed. How would they know God? Because we have Noah. (laughs) Noah's the one that tells us that that was still an option, right? And without faith, it's impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. BT dubs, there was no machine like this on the face of the planet up to this date. There may have been small fishing vessels, we don't really know, but there had never been a cruise liner of this size. Do you hear what I'm saying? God might as well have told him to make a time machine. Like this was so ludicrous and it took him years to make it, right? This was not like sketchy, sketchy, sketch, buildy, buildy, build, and off we go. This was a drawn out process. Noah's level of faith, his ability to hear God, even in an evil world, was profound. Measurements? I never hear God tell me numbers. That's crazy, that's specific, right? By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Why? Why by this did he condemn the world? Noah is evidence that everyone on the planet had the choice to walk with God, but chose not to. Noah's life is the example of why the evil was perpetually evil. Do you see that? Because there was a choice. All right, ordinary Noah was used extraordinarily by God. We've already talked about his sketchy tent thing and the things that happened afterwards, right? We know that it wasn't by Noah's self-righteousness that made him good enough. It's not like the evil people weren't good enough so they got drowned, but Noah was good enough so he didn't get drowned, right? God will use anyone whose heart turns toward him. You don't even have to be that special. How good news is that? Really good news for us. Having God in our lives is transforming. You are God's chosen treasure, priests who are kings, a spiritual nation set apart as God's devoted ones. He called you out of darkness to experience his marvelous light, and now he claims you as his very own. He did this so that you would be so that you would broadcast his glorious wonders throughout the world. For at one time you were not God's people, but now you are. At one time you knew nothing of God's mercy because you hadn't received it yet, but now you are drenched with it. Doesn't that describe Noah? He like lived out his relationship with God in such a profound way. Walking with God and listening to God is a very different life. 
Guys, Christians are not just good people. Christians are not just a morally superior group of people. Well, we're the ones that do the good things, and do you you hear what I'm saying? That's not what God is about. God is not about being good. God is about a relationship that is transformative. So imagine Noah, he's got all these evil neighbors, and if he were to sit down and go, I know, I might like make cookies for my neighbors, and I'll go tell them about the good news of Jesus. Right, good missionary, wouldn't that be good? Don't you think Noah should bake cookies? That, no, that's a good idea. Becca, is that a good idea? I mean, he could have tried. Didn't he try? Actually, it does say that he preached and preached and preached. Maybe he made tracks and stood on a soapbox, yelled out in the corner of the street, Return, turn or burn, or whatever they, <laughs> so they say, turn or burn. What? Turn or drown. Turn or drown. Ooh. Too soon, Becca Jo. Um, Do you know what I'm saying? Noah could have come up with all kinds of ways to reach his generation, and then God told him to build a giant boat. I'm going to tell you that when you are walking with the Holy Spirit, he's going to give you ideas that you would never have come to in your own wisdom. Potty training. Can we talk about it for a second? I'm not going to talk about the potty stuff. I know that upsets people. I'll do that another week. But for this week, we're just going to talk about when, when you have a, a, an individual with their own personality, they don't just like do things on command. I don't know if parents in the room, they don't just like, sure, I'll go number one. You can't, there's no control. You can't, you could control a dog to do that, but you cannot control a human to do that. I mean, some dogs, not all dogs, Labradors. <laughs> There's only a few dogs that do that. But you know what I'm saying? You, it's, potty training is this like battle of the wills, and guess who's going to win? Not you. Them. They're going to win every single time. So you know there's all these great books. There's like videos you can rent. There's seminars you can take. There's boot camps you can do. The, you guys, there's money in this industry. Do you hear what I'm saying? Because every parent's like, I'm done with diapers. Today is the day. It's going to happen today. No, it's not. You're crazy if you think you can control. <laughs> I mean, two-year-old, three-year-olds, they are like mini world leaders. <laughs> Petite, little, cute mini world leaders, right? Dictators. Um, and so I had um, done everything I could, read all the books. I had a lot of my own ideas. I'm a very ideasy kind of person. And I'd talk to all of the people that I respect and some of the people I don't respect. Like, I was like, I'll take any of your ideas at this point. You know what I'm saying? Um, and I had all the ideas, and I'd watched all the videos, and I'd read the books, and I'd heard about the boot camps, and I'm like, yes, we're going to do it. And there was no happenings. It was not. <laughs> it was no good. And I was at my wit's end, and I, I Josh, can back me up on this. I literally was like, God... I need the key. I need the key, God. <laughs> I don't want to buy more diapers. We're like down to three. It's the end of the box, the Costco box. You don't want to pay another $50, right? You're like, no, this is it. I have three more diapers to go. Yes. So um, God told me something crazy. And for their privacy, actually it's one of their, because each child is different, right? For my one child's privacy, I'm not going to tell you what happened because it's their personal journey, right? (laughs) 
God told me to do something super weird. I told Josh, and Josh was like, that is not a thing. And I was like, I don't know what to tell you. I feel like God told me to do it. And so I did this weirdo thing. Guess what? Worked. Worked. I know this is a silly illustration, but you guys, I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit tells you things that you would never get to on your own. There's no book about it. No one else has experienced it. No one else can help you. You need the Holy Spirit. If you have a job and your boss is driving you crazy and it's dark and you're the only Christian, this is the best scenario for you. You have no one else to count on. You have the Holy Spirit. You and the Holy Spirit, it's going to be amazing. Isn't it? We kind of think that there are some, like, Degrees to which you could be a Christian. Like the kind of Christian that says, yes, Jesus, I follow you, but their life really doesn't reflect it. That kind of Christian, right? And then at the other end, you've got like the Noah kind of Christian who was like a hero of our faith. And you're like, well, I'm kind of like, maybe I'm kind of like here (laughs) or here. You know what I mean? Like where am I on the spectrum of like hero of the faith and like baby steps with Jesus? This spectrum is not a thing. It's not real. You are Noah to your generation. That's the only option. It's not God or yes, God. That's the two options. And guess the good news? Like, guess what it is? You're not alone. You have the Holy Spirit. And it doesn't matter if you're the last person on the planet with a relationship with Yahweh. Don't be afraid. If you're the only one in your family that knows Jesus, don't be afraid. If you're the only one in your community, the only one in your workplace, the only, you know what I'm saying? You're the only one. The Holy Spirit's got you. It's going to be amazing. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death, but letting the spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. You're not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. This is the story of Noah for us. The gift of choice, yes God, not God, stands before us, and we make a choice, right? And here's the call. I feel Noah's story calling to you. Will you be the Noah of your generation? Will you be one who walks with God? Will you listen to him and obey, even if he tells you to build a weird thing? (laughs) Will you go against human wisdom? Will you go against the books and the mentors? And You know what I'm saying? Will you walk with God and live out his power on this planet? That's the story of Noah for us. Let's take communion and talk to God about this together.